Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There are two separate groups of people, ultimately. Those who are in heaven, in the presence of God, those who are in hell, separated from his presence. But here's the greatest tragedy of all. For both groups of people, Jesus tasted death. He tasted death for both groups, but only one group benefits from the death that he tasted. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 9, in a message titled, Jesus Tasted Death for Everyone. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I felt compelled to just take this ninth verse and really sort of dig a little bit deeper into it. So that's what I want to do here now. But again, just to remind you of the background here in the context, beginning in verse 5, we read, For he, speaking of God, has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? So the certain place is Psalm 8. And so he says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And so here we see that God intends to give mankind total dominion over all creation, and he's going to do it through Jesus Christ. In another place, Paul refers to Jesus as the second man and the last Adam. And that's kind of what's being talked about here. Jesus is called the last Adam because Adam was not just the first human being, but he was the representative of the human race. He was the head of humanity. And now what God is doing is he's created a new humanity, and Jesus is the head over that, and Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. He's going to to rule over all creation, and we are going to rule over that with him. But here in verse 9, the author tells us of the process the Son of God passed through that led to his being crowned with glory and honor and and being made king over all creation, which is, is a fact now but is not fully realized yet. But But there was a process that he went through. And it's important that we understand that he went through this process. It's important that we think through the process. And this process is stated in different ways in different places here in the scripture. In Philippians chapter 2, this process is uh, spelled out for us as well. There Paul is urging the Christians to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus 
And here's the process. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. He became of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he was found in the likeness of men. He was found in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then Paul says this. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. So here, as we're talking about Jesus, we need to make the distinction between his deity and his humanity. And here the focus is on his humanity. Of course, as deity, he's the creator of everything. He's the heir of everything. He's the sustainer of everything. As deity, he's the ruler of the universe. But now he, he comes as a man and it's as a man that he ultimately is, is going to be elevated because he goes through this process. Now, the ninth verse spells that process out for us. And so the process begins with the incarnation. And we talked about this already, so I'm not going to belabor this point. But this is where the process began. Who being in the form of God, Philippians 2, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and ultimately became a human being. That's it. That's the same thing that's being stated here, but it's stated just a little bit differently. Who was made a little lower than the angels. That's a reference to the incarnation. And actually, the, the way it's stated, who was made a little lower than the angels, it really probably should read he was made for a little while lower than the angels. So here he is. He's God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. But in this process of being exalted uh, as the ultimate man, the head of the human race, and bringing everybody else with him, he's here, but then he condescends. He comes down here, and for a little while, temporarily, he is made lower than the angels. He becomes a man. He becomes a human being. And of course, as human beings, in that uh, one sense, we are, we are lower than the angels. We don't have the strength they have, the power they have, the, the understanding. We're inferior to them in that sense. And so for this brief season, that was part of the process that Jesus would pass through. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, in this process is that he would suffer death. And so we see Jesus who was made for a little while lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Now, we all are familiar with the fact that Jesus died, right? We know that. And of course, we talk about that all the time and you know his death on the cross and that's how we're saved. So we, we understand that Jesus died, but what I don't think we understand is how extraordinary it was that Jesus died. Because the reality is, Jesus is the only human being that death really had no claim on. So for Jesus to die was extraordinary. It, it was nothing like for, for us to die. We, we die because we're sinners. But Jesus is not a sinner. So the very fact that he dies is in and of itself this uh, amazing, mysterious kind of a thing. 
He will today. You see, as Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. Had Jesus not willed to die, he could not have died. But it was this process that he submitted himself to. The first step was in becoming a man. The second step was yielding himself up to death. But I think it's important that we get that understanding in our minds that death had no claim on Jesus. So had he not laid down his life, and he said, when he made that statement, he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And then he said this. He said, I have the power to lay it down. Jesus had to exert his own power in order to give up his life. Because again, death is the consequence of sin. Jesus has no sin. So he exerts his power. He exerts his will in order to lay down his life for us. So step one, the incarnation. Step two, the suffering of death. But then we're told here, and this is where I want to put our, our primary emphasis today. We're told here that he tasted death for everyone. Now think about this. A person may die in such a way as to not taste death in, in the fullest sense. The, the word here is talking about a, a full tasting of death. So, you know, people die instantly. People just suddenly die of a heart attack. People suddenly die of a stroke. People suddenly die of an aneurysm, something like that. People suddenly die in a car accident. There's no anticipation. There's no preliminary suffering that leads up to it. There, there's just, you know, this instantaneous thing. So for a person like that, uh, or an experience like that, you would not say that they, they tasted death in the sense that what's being talked about here. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross was a slow and a painful death. But it was not merely that it lasted a considerable amount of time, that it was attended with agony of mind as well as pain of body, but that he came as no other finite creature can come into contact with death. You see, Jesus experienced death in a way that no one else ever could. That's what it means when it says that he tasted death. He tasted it to uh, the, the fullest extent. All that death was, was concentrated in that cup that he drank. That cup that was emptied there on the cross. He tasted death to the very last drop. That's what it means, that he tasted death for everyone. So again, this is something that we ourselves could not experience. This is, this is going deeper. All that, all that, everything that death is, in its fullest and, and most complete sense, that's what it means when it says that Jesus tasted death for every man. So what did he taste in death? He tasted three things in death. First of all, he tasted the, the full curse of sin. The full curse of sin. You see, sin brought a curse upon not just humanity. Sin brought a curse upon everything. Sin brought a curse upon the universe. Sin brought a curse upon the planet. And all of the 
all of the misery, all of the suffering, all of the grief, all of the anguish, all of the pain, all of these things are, are really due to the fact that the earth came under a curse. So take all of those things throughout all of history and put them together, and this is what Jesus was experiencing when he was tasting death. He was experiencing the, the full curse of sin, and so we read in Scripture things like this. He bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. See, somehow this is mysterious stuff, but somehow all of our griefs, all of our sorrows, all of our suffering, all of those things that are a result of sin and the curse that came from sin, somehow that was put on Jesus. Everybody's grief, everybody's sorrows put upon him personally. So this, this is what it means to taste death. The, the full curse, he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows. The, we read in Isaiah, the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. So Jesus was bearing the, the penalty for the iniquities of us all, every single person. We could not pay for our own sins. Jesus paid for everyone's sins. The Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And so the guilt, the shame, the burden, the alienation, uh, all of that that comes from sin, Jesus tasted it all. But secondly, he was tasting to the full extent the power of Satan. The power of Satan, all of the fury of the devil himself, all of his hatred against God, all of that uh, animosity and, and vitriol that, that the devil holds in his heart against God and, and, and people, the, those that God loves, it's all being unleashed on Jesus at this time. Verse 14 you remember it tells us that inasmuch as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, so he himself partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death. Satan has the power of death. And as we look at history, this is what we see. The devil's power is always used destructively. And from the beginning of time right down to this very day, as we think of the destruction of, of human life, the devil is the one who is behind all of that. And he has great power that he exerts destructively. When we think of catastrophic kinds of things, you know, massive earthquakes, or we think of typhoons or hurricanes or tsunamis or, you know, all of those kinds of things that happen, those we call natural disasters. Did you know that quite often Satan is the source of those things? And what is the result? It's death and destruction. We know he's the source of those things. We have examples in scripture. Uh, Satan uses the powers of nature to destroy Job's family, his children, his servants, and those kinds of things. He stirs up the hearts of evil men to murder his servants and so forth. We, we see that the devil was behind all of that. And it's these kinds of things that Satan does and it's this very thing that Jesus faced when he was tasting death. He faced all of the power of Satan. 
And so his greatest objective, the devil's greatest objective, is to bring as much destruction to the world as possible. And his greatest power in all his fury was directed at Jesus. So again, this is one of those things that's hard to even comprehend this. It's hard to even get our our minds even slightly around this. But this is what it means that Jesus tasted death. All of of that, that hatred and that destructiveness that the devil has wrought upon the planet from the beginning and upon humanity, all of that was unleashed against the Lord Jesus. So he tasted death. He experienced the full extent of the curse of sin. He experienced the full extent of Satan's power. But the worst part of it all, as bad as that is, the worst part of it all, the most bitter aspect of tasting death for Jesus was experiencing the wrath of God against sin. Jesus is going to come and he's going to bear the penalty of sin so God can forgive rebellious men and women. That's grace. He, by the grace of God, tasted death for everyone. Not because anyone deserved it. No, we deserved the opposite. But it's purely through his grace. And you know, as we think into the future, there are two separate groups of people, ultimately. Those who are in heaven, in the presence of God, those who are in hell, separated from his presence. Both states will be eternal. Both states will will go on endlessly. But here's the greatest tragedy of all. For both groups of people, Jesus tasted death. He tasted death for both groups, but only one group benefits from the death that he tasted. The other group doesn't. And I think this is going to be part of the torment of hell that everybody in hell is going to know that their sins that put them there, their ultimate sin of rejecting Christ, that it was paid for. That it had actually been dealt with. But it was because they refused it. Because they rejected it. Because they said, oh, I don't need somebody to save me. Oh, I don't need somebody to die for me. That sounds barbaric. That sounds immoral. I don't need anything like that. And that gift of God's grace, having Christ taste death for them, they end up having to swallow the whole thing themselves. And it is an eternal situation. But they have this consciousness. Like I said, I think this is part of the torment. They have this consciousness that there was actually provision that was made their sins could have been forgiven. And the great tragedy is that it didn't have to be that way because Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death for everyone. But then there's that other group. There's that group that is there with him eternally, and hopefully you're part of that. We're part of that. And of course, we, we, all of us can be part of that by, by receiving that gift of grace through Christ. But think about this. So here we are, and there we are in eternity. 
And, you know, I, I was thinking about this. This is such an amazing thing, really, when you think about it. Christ, because remember the context is that God is going to put Jesus over all things. He's the, the representation of humanity. We will rule and reign through him because of him. And yet to think about this, that our king, our ruler, is one who died for us. That every time we look at Jesus, we will be reminded of that one thing that he died for us. I think of the Jews. I think of the fact that for all of these long centuries, the Jews have rejected their Messiah. And Zechariah tells us of the, of the day that's coming, God speaking through the prophet, talking about the house of David and, and, and the people of Israel and so forth. There's coming a day they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn, they will lament, they will wail for him as one wails for an only son. That day when the Jews finally realized that this one that we have rejected for all these centuries, this is our savior. They're, they look upon me whom they have pierced. They're, the wounds are still there. And they see that. And then forever as uh, the temple is rebuilt and Jesus is there upon the, the Davidic throne as a priest and a king, there he is bearing those scars. And there is that perpetual reminder to the priest and to the people of Israel, our, our Messiah, our King, our God, his love for us demonstrated by the scars. That's what we have. And so this is what Jesus did for us. We do not yet see the, the, the full manifestation of his being crowned with glory and honor. That's going to come in the future. But what do we see now? We see that he went through this process of incarnation, of suffering death, of tasting to the full extent death. And he did it for everyone by the grace of God. Which group will you be in? God wants you to be there with him forever. And that's why Jesus tasted death for you. Don't turn away from that. Don't spurn that. Don't reject that. But embrace that fully. Because apart from that, there is that other thing. That eternal separation with the greatest regret of all being that someone tasted death for me, but I didn't avail myself of it. And now I live with that eternal consequence. God help us, everyone, to not go there. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time, and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus 
says of himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, or you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.